Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Traverse Theatre, Edinburgh. We now join the theatre's literary associate and your host, Rosie Kelliger. Welcome to the Travcast, where we speak to playwrights about their work and the process of writing. I'm Rosie Kelliger, I'm the Traverse's literary associate, and I'm really pleased today to have with me one of Scotland's most celebrated playwrights, Linda McLean. Uh, Linda has uh, written work for companies including Payne's Plough, Rough Magic, 784, the National Theatre of Scotland, She Theatre and the Edinburgh International Festival. Uh, she frequently works abroad and she's on the artistic board of Magic Theatre Company in San Francisco. She's also a former creative fellow at the Institute of Advanced Studies in Humanities at Edinburgh University. Um, she's had a very long association with us here at the Traverse from uh, One Good Beating in 1997 through plays such as Shimmer, Strangers Babies and Any Given Day right up to this August when her play Control Z was one of our breakfast plays at this year's festival. So Linda, welcome back. (laughs) Hello. It's really nice to have you here. Um, And it's particularly nice to have you here because I know how busy you are at the moment uh, with rehearsals for your new play Thingamabob. Yeah. Um, which is going to be on here at the Traverse from the 29th to the 31st of October. So how are rehearsals going? Yes, um, very well. um, I don't know if um, the people who are listening understand what kind of company Lung Ha is. But they Um, have a brilliant inclusive practice, don't they? they? Yes. Mm. So by necessity, the, the rehearsal period is longer. Okay, of course. Which is fantastic. For me as a writer. So it gives you that space, yeah. which can often feel like quite a luxury in theatre, can't it? Yeah, no, no, really. Um, because the the commission uh, associated with this happened only about three months ago. So it was a very short lead-in oh, to the wow. writing of it. So I, I've gone into it with a first draft. Um, um, and, and so... I would be much more nervous about that if it were three weeks rehearsal, tech week up and out and no opportunity to rework. But I've had the luxury of the last three weeks of being able to see the words in the mouths of the actors and 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 change them. And mm. um, it's been a very open rehearsal process. So, yeah, I've really oh, enjoyed it a lot. And how how do you generally work in a rehearsal room? Because obviously it's a it's a space with lots of creative people in it, mm. and uh, particularly with a new text, there needs to be lots of time on the text and answering questions. Um, and what's your usual process in terms of working with a director in the room? Do you find um, it differs depending on the company, but it's mostly I see my role as someone who's there if. The actors or the director need my my explanation or something, or or more importantly, um, my intention for certain lines or certain moments, and so um, yeah, an aid to the to the production, I think. And do you ever find yourself being surprised by your own words, as you say, in the in the mouths of other people and? Um, that sort of capacity that I think writers sometimes have to to 
see a different dimension uh, in their work or are you sort of quite tight on actually this is what it is and the actors are just bringing it to life or um, I would say I've had experiences of both of those things um, one of one of the things I would love to change about my process on, on, on the basis of the work that I've done now with Long Ha is I'd love to have actors sooner Ah, oh, that's interesting it's far too late mm. to make maybe the kind of changes or adjustments that you would like to make when when the actors are desperately trying to learn their texts in a three or four week period you know it's it I would much rather have the actor say after a second draft work up the muscle of the thing and then when we go into rehearsals it's we'd all feel much more comfortable that the piece was actually written for the people in the room. Because mm. often I won't meet the actors, you know, until first day of rehearsal. Yeah, that's interesting, the idea of uh, writing for the people in the room and how much you can have a particular performer in mind for a role or for the story you want to tell. Which I've never done before, but before I wrote this, I went along and met the company... Um, I saw them rehearsing uh, Morna Pearson's Jekyll and Hyde and then I did two other workshops with them and by that time I was starting to have an idea of what I wanted to write um, and certain aspects of it like what you know the music might be or what the abilities of the people in the room might be before I crafted something that was completely impossible for people to achieve and um, and that was a real help when it came to actually writing the first draft because within the workshops I had their musical suggestions to work with and um, their idea of, you know, without giving too much away of what superpowers might be useful for them or... I'm already intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really looking forward to the show. And also um, some of the brilliancy... So, Here's the thing that you never know about actors until you actually either know them personally or, or you get into the room with them. What their other amazing skills are, apart from acting. So one of um, one of the cast in um, Thing Me Bob has a almost photographic memory. How amazing. So, you know, she turns up and she knows everything. I wrote a rap for her and... Ten minutes later, she was saying it. Wow, that's extraordinary. And that's a complete gift. <laughs> so I've been able to, for example, um, um, allow her to, in a quite naturalistic way, because that's the way I've decided to write it, um, rescue someone who might get lost in the text, but it's already built into the show, so it's not going to feel like... Uh, something suddenly gone wrong mm. oh, that's because she knows everyone's part wow <laughs> how useful every production should have somebody like that exactly yeah. <laughs> um, it was interesting to hear you talk about music um, uh, and the role of music in this piece because something that occurred to me um, actually just watching the reading of Control Z during the festival was your use of sound uh-huh. in that piece um, and I, I think uh, what audiences might not have appreciated there was a, a, a fantastic beatboxer wasn't he amazing he was extraordinary <laughs> and such a delight to watch um so if any of you listeners uh, saw it what you might not have realized is that linda had written in 
in incredible detail all of the sounds uh, that the beatboxer was to create and that underscored the world and the action of the play. Um, and it struck me that there is a sort of sense of rhythm and musicality and a, an awareness of sound quite often in your work. And I thought about that again from the sort of the very early uh, version of what was to become the Uncertainty Files, um, and which was, of course, a verbatim yeah. piece. Um, but even the sounds from the recordings were were present yeah. in that. Um, and I just wondered how much that sort of oral landscape of, of the play um, and that kind of texture of the play um, is part of your writing process in general. Um, I, I would say that I've become much more aware of it but it's always been there. And I used to think that I was only writing the rhythm of the language, but I was writing how all of it sounded in my head. And uh, it was it, it was the best fun to write all of those sounds for. It must have been. Ballsy, that was his name. He was absolutely fantastic. And I, I actually, I'd love to create a piece with him from scratch, now having seen what he can do. Ah. Yeah. That was such fun. Oh, brilliant. Um, how, uh, how much have you um, worked with music specifically um, in rehearsal rooms or in the process in the past? And So I used to always say that I'm not musical at all. I don't have any musical training, but I do know that I, I hear... Um, how people speak or or what the atmosphere of a, a room or a place I'm hearing the sounds of it and and I've always paid attention to those so um that's that's the extent of my um musical input <laughs> really I mean this I knew from very early on that I was going to um, have music as part of the long hair show because uh, I met with someone um it the thing with Bob is, is being included in the Illuminate Festival which is a festival of creativity and ageing and I had a conversation with someone from Illuminate uh, who was telling me about and, I, and, and I'm going to be fuzzy here but it's it's, uh, it's I think there's an organisation set up to help people who are suffering from dementia choose the music that that chimes in some way with them before they've forgotten it because people with dementia respond really well to significant music. So oh, what a fantastic thing. I wanted that music to be, you know, in the show. So Thing Me Bob, the main character, um, um actually gave me the, the actor John Edgar gave me his musical choices before we started the show so Oh how lovely so you were able to incorporate his yeah. own sort of personal response yeah. to that yeah. in the piece. And obviously you won't want to give too much away about the piece, but what can you tell us about the play itself? Um it's about someone um called Bob but we've called him Thing Me Bob because he can't remember the names for things, so he substitutes Thing Me for the thing that he's looking for and often doesn't know what he's looking for and has forgotten um, some major events in his life and is now being taken care of in a home that he keeps trying to escape from. 
and he has two young friends who visit him um, and they they desperately want to help him but don't feel that they can actually help him run away from the organisation. So there's it's a bit of a caper. It's a hope in the best possible way allowing that kind of desperate situation some lightness mm. and um, humour and a bit of music. That sounds absolutely lovely. <laughs> I hope it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's really interesting that um, over the last few years there's begun to be a number of pieces of work made about ageing, about dementia of various kinds and I think it's brilliant that theatre is responding yeah. to this huge subject that actually as a society we're all having to deal with and think about, obviously on a personal level for lots of people um, but actually at a political level and, uh, and a sort of social care level. Yeah, And I did um, have a stab at it a couple of years ago with a play called What Love Is but um, although there was humour in that, it was more of a kind of slightly absurdist kind, and it was much darker. And I've seen a few pieces that that um, that have left me feeling quite sad and depressed about the mm. subject, and and they're absolutely value. And honestly, I I I'm the last person to say don't go there because I I have been confronted by audience members of after seeing my own work here weeping in the bathroom <laughs> but, but I had such a strong sense when I met this company that the subject matter the audience and the actors that I was working with needed delicately held mm. and that was that drove my intent for what the play would be about mm. that's a really lovely way of phrasing it I think um, I'm interested uh, in what you were saying there about um, watching other pieces of work and considering what you wanted for your own piece um, because I, I think one of the things that I find really fascinating about your work is how much you appear to be pushing yourself formally and structurally and I was just interested in, in finding out a bit more about where that comes from and whether it's about an examination of the work of other writers or artists and companies and thinking about how you might interrogate that through your process or whether it's something that you've kind of evolved gradually as a writer. Um, I th think it's probably been part of my process from the beginning but not that I knew it. Um, and I think lots of people would experiment with form if 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 there wasn't a sense, and I'm, I'm probably going to be talking nonsense here now, but if there wasn't some sense that there is a way to tell a story. Because mm. I, I come at it from the other view, which is, Every story has inherent within it the very best way to tell it. And and that depends on what aspect of the story you want to tell or, mm. you know, without stating this is a story about this way of seeing the world, but, but it just be inherent in how you show it. Mm. So um, when I'm thinking around an idea... 
Um, I know that I've set the back of my brain the task of paying attention to how it might all fit together. Mm. So that, as soon as I start writing it, that's part of it. That's not something that occurs after I've written it. Mm -hmm. It's inherent from the beginning of that process. Yeah. How much refining do you go through of that then, in terms of your drafting process? It depends how much time I've got, increasingly in how long the thing is. But I would say it goes through three major changes. And and the first is the, the process by which you just set the thing down and then begin to understand what it is you've actually got there. Mm. Um, and then there's the second part and I like quite a gap between those so that I can go back and look at it anew that distance yeah for a bit of perspective yeah and when I do that second read through I um you know when you're editing work you can track and save changes Mm. I do all that new comment new change and I keep all of that so I keep that second document which has got my own response to the first one Ah, so you can kind of refer back to your feelings about it, your initial yeah, thoughts. Yeah, exactly. And it's really useful in rehearsals as well. Ah, wow. So then what I'm looking at in that second draft is 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 the story being told the best way it can? Are there too many, not enough people? Have, have I misunderstood something and do I have to actually make a big change somewhere? Um, is it too long, not long enough, all of those, you know, having a good critical response to your own work is something that I can only do after I've f- forgotten it, kind of. And Absolutely. The, and then the third draft is the one, you know, it's it's my, can, my kind of panic draft before I go into rehearsals. <laughs> <laughs> the combing through kind of draft. Yes. And then obviously it does change through rehearsals and I do wish rehearsals were longer because, as I said earlier... Once you see it in the mouths of actors, then... That's a whole different perspective. It is. And it's really difficult as a writer not to be sitting there going, shit, if only I'd I'd, I'd have been able to do this if I'd known he or she could do that. (laughs) (laughs) Always the way. Yeah. Um, I'm interested as well because obviously you've done a lot of work abroad and Mm. it seems particularly in in San Francisco and a bit in South America. Um, And of course that's a very different writing culture yeah. and theatrical tradition. I was just uh, wondering what you, perhaps what you'd notice in terms of the, the key differences in that writing culture and maybe what you've taken from it, what's been particularly interesting for you in observing other writers' processes in, in different cultures. I have been and talked with most of the literary managers of theatres that are doing new work in New York. It's a very risk-averse culture because there's no public subsidy. Of course, yeah. So the companies like Magic, who are sticking their neck out all the time to do new work, are very rare. Mm. Most people are taking received work um, and they can't afford a development programme you know, for their writers. It's a sobering thought, that, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Um, um, on the other hand, it's amazing to see something that you wrote that might only be relevant to 50 people in the east side of Glasgow being relevant to a much bigger audience in in America. Of course. So that's 
you never know when you're writing what's going to be relevant. How have you found that transfer from one context to another with work that's maybe had a life here in Scotland, here in the UK, in another country? Yes, really surprising because no two countries respond in the same way to a piece of work. Um, uh, uh, yeah, Strangers Babies did really well in France. Oh. Um, and I thought that was a very specifically Scottish, UK type story. But I think maybe it's that the more detailed something is, actually the easier it is for people to look at it and respond to it rather than something that's very wide. I don't know. It's, no, I think that's true. There's something about specificity allowing you yeah. universality, isn't there? Yes, I think so. Yeah. There's a profound thought for us to wrap <laughs> up on. Linda McLean, thank you so much for coming in to talk to us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. That was really fast and enjoyable. Thanks, Rosie. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from the Traverse Theatre Edinburgh. For more information, please log on to www.traverse.co.uk.